I want to take a moment to weigh in on what's going on with NAR and the commission lawsuits, because as I've been following along, there's been a lot that's been hard to hear as a realtor working in this space. I've heard some testimony that was kind of shocking to hear about realtors behaving badly is the simplest way I can say it. And I won't argue with those people who feel wronged by those bad actors out there who have treated them unethically. That is plain wrong, period. There is something missing in the content that I've been following, and that is what I feel maybe is a voice representing the realtors out there who aren't behaving badly, who are doing good ethical work, who are trying to represent their clients and advise their clients in the best way possible. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about commissions. I'm going to talk about how they work, how I think we should be thinking about them. I want to offer another viewpoint into the conversation for you to consider. I'm not here to convince anybody what they should think, but I want to just offer up the voice of a working realtor who doesn't behave badly and follows the ethical standards. And I also kind of want to just humanize it for a second. I want to humanize my job. Now, I don't want to claim to be speaking for realtors everywhere, definitely not, but I do think I'm safe in saying that I think the majority of my colleagues around here would agree with a lot of the perspective I'm going to share today, and I'm not just talking about at Waypoint. I could probably name 50 brokers at a dozen other agencies in the area that I think do perform at a very high ethical standard and, and carry themselves quite professionally. And I've had conversations like this with other brokers who have shared similar sentiments. So I'm not alone in that. I'm not totally unique in this perspective. And that's important to me because I want you to understand that there's a lot of good in this industry, a lot of good people working in this space. If you tend towards skepticism on that, let me put it this other way. I'm not just talking about straight up ethical behavior and morality. I'm also just talking about good business practice. There's a lot of really smart brokers out there who recognize that ethical behavior is good business. And they're smart enough to recognize the short-sightedness of prioritizing a single sale transaction over the very long and consistent career that you can build when you prioritize your advisory role and treat your clients well and with respect. Right now, I'm seeing a lot of clickbait headlines that are portraying a very different kind of real estate industry, and that's just not the industry I know. So that's what I want to talk about today, the industry I know and how I think we should be thinking about commissions and transactional relationships. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Buyers don't pay commission for their brokers. The seller pays the commission at closing. That is one of the most common and quickest ways I have heard people explain the way commissions work. A slightly more detailed version, but still not full version, might be something like, the seller is going to agree to a commission up front with their broker, and their broker is going to split that commission with the buyer's broker at closing. Slightly more detailed. In both cases, I would say both explanations underperform at really giving a full picture of what's happening with the relationships between the brokers and their clients, and 
the commission and who effectively is paying for the commission. And when you hear the explanation in these brief ways, I get it. I get it if you're a seller and it frustrates you and you think to yourself, why? Why should I pay for the buyer's broker? What do I have to do with that? They're going to do nothing for me. This is my money. Why should I pay for that? I understand that frustration. We're going to come back to that, but bear with me for a second. Here's another thing we do in real estate is we talk a lot in language that's very combative and competitive. It's seller side against the buyer side. It's buyers against other buyers. It's brokers negotiating against each other. It's win, it's lose. It's a lot of competition. And that's what a lot of consumers expect the process is going to be like because that's what media likes to portray. In my experience, that is not actually the tone of most transactions, at least not the successful transactions. Most successful transactions and what you hope for is more about cooperation between parties than it is about combat and competition. A good realtor, an effective realtor, that should be their mindset the whole time, is thinking about how they can foster cooperation to achieve your client's goals. Because I'm here to say, if you're a buyer and you want to buy a house and you want to go in there combative or you're a seller and you want to come to market combative, ready to do battle against the other side, then not only are you probably going to have a miserable experience, but you're probably not likely to get your desired outcome. You can't force a buyer to sign on closing day. You need cooperation from the other side. One party wants to sell a property. The other party wants to buy that property. It's about coming together and meeting over a set of mutually agreed circumstances. Now, both parties might not always get what they want. And yes, there's some compromise. And that's the negotiation piece. It's the negotiation of compromise. Ultimately, when you get to closing day, it's because of cooperative efforts to get there. And on the way to getting there, there's a lot of complexities to navigate. The stakes are very high. You're talking about a lot of money. And the exchanging of a property, it can be a very emotional process. Things can get heated. Things can get fraught. Things can get confusing. Houses are complex systems. And there's a whole team of services that really have to come together to make a transaction go smoothly and cross that finishing line on closing day. This is why I say realtors are portrayed as salespeople frequently. And that is not an accurate portrayal in my mind. I mean, obviously we sell properties, so there is a sales component to what we do. I would say at the core of our work, the most important part of the service we provide is our role as an advisor to our clients through this complex process and our ability to provide tested and trustworthy resources to pull that team together and to coordinate that team to ensure the smoothest transaction possible. Plain and simple, the job is about giving our clients the confidence the knowledge, and the resources they need to effectively reach their goals in the marketplace. That's it. That's the job. And whether or not the buyers and sellers think of it this way, the reality is that both parties benefit when the other side has adequate, not adequate, forget adequate, when both sides have professional and excellent 
advisors and representation. Here's just a few examples of what I mean by that. The buyer will benefit when the seller has excellent representation because the seller's agent will make sure that they do their due diligence, that they make sure they're disclosing any material defects about the property and that all the proper disclosures are made. They'll make sure that they've done their homework and that they can justify the price that they're coming to market with, that they're not pulling some wild way above market price. The seller will benefit by the buyer having good representation because the buyer's agent's going to make sure that the buyer is coming to market prepared, that they've got their ducks in a row, they're ready to make a bona fide offer, and that they fully understand the condition of the property so that they're doing their best to prevent any curveballs during inspections that might upset the transaction so that the buyer knows what they're getting into when they're making their offer. This is all part of the cooperative effort that I am talking about. Both sides deserve to have this type of representation and I really believe that we have a much more sustainable real estate market when both sides are getting good quality professional representation. It can be very dangerous to go it alone in the market. And I don't want to be, it's not sensationalism, but I'll give another example because I think it's easier to agree on this other example, which is I think we would mostly all universally agree that for most people, if you had $500,000 to invest and you wanted to invest it in the stock market, most people have no business trying to navigate that alone. You can try, but it might not yield you the best returns because that's not our day job. That's not our expertise. You will never catch me if I ever happen to have $500,000 laying around ready to go to the stock market. You're not going to catch me. And I'm a DIY junkie, by the way. You are still not going to catch me rolling up to, I mean, I guess the stock market's not like a physical place anymore. So you're never going to catch me opening my Robinhood app and going, hmm, yes, Google, right. I think that sounds, that sounds pretty reliable. Sure. No, I'm going to get some professional assistance and pay for it. Google stock. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. I'll take it. 500 grand. Thanks. At that, yes, there are a lot of websites these days that help us DIY, right? It's become easier than ever to find homes for sale or to list your home for sale yourself. It's easier than ever thanks to technology. But does that mean that it will yield you the best outcome with your financial assets? Just because you can, does it mean you should? Are you saving a penny to lose a dollar? I mean, I could keep going here. The cooperation piece, just to get back to that, is you have a seller side and a buyer side, each with their own representation, each trying to come to the table, find a mutually agreeable set of circumstances that allows them to move forward, both sides getting the bulk of what they want and need to achieve their goals. And that's the cooperation piece. 
But the part that we don't do a very good job talking about is that the commission to pay for that professional service is also part of the cooperation piece. And so it's not really the full picture to think about it in the way of, okay, both sides had this cooperative experience and now the seller is paying for the whole thing. Let me explain why. You have a buyer writing a check at closing. That is the buyer's money, right? It's not the seller's money until they hand it over. And the commission that's going to be paid to both sides is going to come out of that check that that buyer is writing. So there is a cooperative element to that because one of the circumstances that they had to agree on to even get to the closing table was that the buyer had to be willing to pay that price. And part of their willingness to pay that price is based on the fact that they have effective counsel, aka their realtor, advising them on the market and giving them the sense of confidence and helping them pull together the resources, whether that's connecting them with good lenders or other services, inspection services and title companies to check for title risks. They have the confidence come closing day to say, I am prepared to pay this price for this house because I know that this is a smart investment. I feel confident about that. I feel good about that. And they're handing over that money. The title attorney is taking that commission money, setting it aside at closing, and then distributing to the seller their profit. It's not that the seller receives that money and then writes a personal check to the buyer's agent. The seller doesn't get taxed on that money. So we tell the story that the seller's paying the commission, but really if we look at the whole picture and we think about it from a cooperative viewpoint, it starts to feel a lot more fair. It starts to feel a lot more like a way of making sure that all four key players in that cooperative transaction get what they need and deserve to receive. Seller successfully sells the property, hopefully with the confidence that they sold it at the highest and best price and with the highest and best terms that they could have because they had professional representation ensuring so. The buyer feels confident that they got a good deal, that they know what they're getting into, that the house, that they feel informed about the house, and if they had to compromise certain things, that they feel comfortable with the risk of that because they understand what it is and it made sense within the scope of their goals because they also had representation that effectively and ethically made sure that that client was fully informed. So the last thing I just want to touch on is just the humanizing of my job piece. To describe realtors as salespeople, I think, is a really narrow definition of what the work is. And I want to give a few examples of why. There's a larger point that will come at the end of that, which is to talk about one of the risks. If we undo a common practice where buyers are able to bundle their cost for having a professional advisor if they're if they're losing the ability to bundle that into their purchase price and to bundle that into their financing we potentially create a world where buyers who are not of substantial means and do not have substantial financial liquidity will not have access to the type of professional representation that oftentimes is really vital to their financial well-being in a transaction. And that is a greater issue that we need to confront. 
So I want to illustrate this with two stories, and these are real stories. These are two clients closed about a week apart from each other just last month. Real transactions. Again, I am not cherry picking back through my archive. This is not looking through eight years and picking, you know, two specific stories that just happen to be polar opposites and <laughs> conveying my point per perfectly. This is real life. This is really realtor life. So the two stories I want to tell, one is a client was a $210,000 condo purchase in Portland. And it's a bit of a bittersweet story. The bitter part is that my client had inherited money from his mother who passed away. The sweet part of the story is what it meant for him to receive that money because at the time that his mother passed away, he was living on the streets, he was unhoused. And the money allowed him to purchase a home for himself. So when he came to me, I noticed that he was willing to accept more abuse than he should. He was willing to accept a lot of negative conditions. And I saw an opportunity to really step into my role as an advocate. We offered on a property, which right away he said, let's just offer the asking price. That's what he wanted to do. I was able to give him some counsel and some advice about how long the property had been listed, the condition of the property, how it compared to other properties, what I thought was likely the expectation on the seller side from having experienced, you know, in my career, having experienced situations like this before. As a result, we were able to get the property under contract below asking for him. We then conducted inspections turned up a whole bunch of issues with inspections to which he said, you know, it's okay. I can manage all of this. I'll figure it out. And I said, but you shouldn't have to. And here's what I think we can get for you. And here's what I'm going to recommend we ask for because these are basic health and safety things. And we were able to get those things for him. And that felt really good. But also, let me be really clear about something. I didn't do anything exceptional in that. It might sound like, you know, it's emotional. This man was unhoused. Now he's housed. It's, there's a lot in that. But let me just be really clear. All I did in that situation was my job. That's my job. I did my job. I fulfilled my professional responsibilities and I adhered to the NAR code of ethics and I treated my client with respect and prioritized his best interests. It's not a huge paycheck, that particular job, right? Like that was not... When I look at the amount of hours that I had in and it's nights and it's weekends and it's it's time that I should be with my family, but I'm working. When I look at the amount of hours that I had in, that's a pretty typical hourly wage when you really look at it. And the flip side is the other story where I have a client in the exact opposite situation. It's a client with a lot of resources, a client with a budget up to 1.5 million. We ended up going under contract on a property in multiple offers. The asking price was 1.3. We ended up under contract at 1.35. Now, that's a very different commission check. But for that, the value that I provided, again, stepping into the advisory role, the value that I was able to provide was substantially more than that commission check. This was a client who was heavily influenced, didn't know the area, never bought in Maine before, didn't know the market, 
and was very heavily influenced by family and friends who were advising, hey, and these are family and friends who had bought in Maine, but in a different time in the market when things looked very differently than they do now. And family and friends saying, just go to your max, don't mess around, you want this house, go straight to 1.5. My client came to me, said, I think 1.45 is where we're comfortable, let's go get it. And I was able to say, hey, why don't we take a breath, let's take a step back, let me show you some information, let's look at the data, let me tell you what I've been seeing anecdotally for the last six to eight weeks, and actually importantly, let's zoom in on just the last couple of weeks on what I've been seeing because that's not even information that's gonna be quantified in the data yet. So let's look at all that and then let's make an informed decision. And what they settled on was 1.35, we won the bid, and by doing that, I saved them $100,000. These are just two recent closings. They happen to happen a week apart. I, I'm not, I really am not reaching to find stories that fit. But what's so interesting is that these are two different clients with two completely different backgrounds on two ends of the market. And they both received the same benefit because they had a, an advocate, they had an advisor, they had someone with professional insight to guide them. And in both cases, it was effective at saving them money and getting them, basically getting them the property that they wanted, but under conditions that were advantageous to them. And if you think for one second, if they had to come up with the funds to pay for that service out of pocket in addition to the money for the down payment and the purchase, I'm quite certain my client up to 1.5 would have been able to pay for that service. I don't know that my client who was buying the $210,000 condo would have had the ability to pay for that service for himself. So now you see the point I'm trying to make about the potential disparity that we create if we undo the cooperative commission structure that we use. And if you think for one second that if either of those clients went to the listing broker direct to make an offer for themselves without an advisor, without a realtor in their corner, if you think for one second that the listing broker would have said, well, hold on there, let me show you the data and give you some advice and insight so that you might make a more informed decision and propose a better offer for yourself or advocate for better conditions and terms for yourself. Of course, that's not going to happen. And before you roll your eyes and say, oh, no, well, yeah, you know, greedy listing brokers, it has nothing to do with that. It's about fiduciary responsibility. The listing broker has a contractual fiduciary responsibility to their seller client. It would be unethical and a violation of their license for them to provide that kind of advice to a buyer. The system we have now, it might not be perfect. It has some flaws clearly because I have heard some very damning evidence in the coverage of these lawsuits. I've heard some very devastating things about realtors behaving unethically. There needs to be greater barrier to entry for the career. You have to have, I think, more education and more training. And critically, perhaps more than anything else, what I think that we need from leadership in this industry and more voices in this industry, emphasizing a culture that prioritizes our advisory role above our sales role. 
gonna stand quite firm in my opinion that that it is a mistake to undo a practice that that protects equal representation on both sides of the transaction and makes that representation attainable for all buyers in the marketplace regardless of their purchase price or if they're first-time home buyers or their socioeconomic background and i think it's short-sighted of sellers who think that they are being disadvantaged by cooperating in a commission structure that ensures that representation because the people who have buying power for the property that you want to sell, if they have to come up with additional funds to pay for representation, that is going to reduce their buying power. It is a marketing advantage for the listing of your property to offer that benefit to buyers. It encourages buyers to reach out and to get started. It is very hard to start the process of buying a property. And having an advocate in your corner to simplify the steps and help you understand how you can get to the end goal, to take the stress out of that process is part of what gets buyers to show up and look at your property. So I think I've said enough. I'll leave it there. Lots to talk about. So more soon and keep in touch. The For Real Estate Podcast is a nonsensible production. For more information, please visit www.forrealestatepod.com. And thanks for listening.